if every family is having to navigate or feels like they have to navigate their struggles alone, I don't know that they'll come to an effective or good conclusion on how to solve their problems because they feel like they're unique. And yet, what I keep finding over and over again is that most families' problems are very similar to the family right next door and right next door. And so you don't have to struggle through and figure this out on your own. There's other people who have gone through it, but in an attempt not to air our dirty laundry, we will stumble along and struggle in our family dynamic. And so it's going, okay, we've got to do better. And someone else has already navigated this. So how do we help people not have to figure it out on their own? Welcome to episode 15 of Fight for Brilliance. I'm Justin Keller, your host, and welcome to another conversation that will challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and to fight for brilliance in every area of your life. This week's conversation is with Faze Family Learning Center's CEO, Frank Bieler. And I'm excited for you to get to know him and to have Frank in your corner here this week because Frank is just a really kind human and just humble and absolutely brilliant. Uh, person. And so I'm excited for you to listen to him as he talks about what it took to launch something that's never been created before. That's hard to say, but this is a model, a business model that had never been launched. And we talk about what that looked like for him and the process of getting buy-in from investors and just ultimately what it looks like to go all in with your purpose. And we talk about his family upbringing and how that's connected to what he's doing and we talk about what it takes to be a brilliant leader. And so as you're listening to this episode today, what I want you to do is to be thinking about your dream, your organization that you're trying to build, or your ideas that you want to bring to life. Because as we talk about the specifics in Frank's life with the Face Family Learning Center launching that and what that looked like for him, and we talk about business and all that, I want you to be thinking about his mentality and his approach and how that applies to you because it does transfer and it's really challenged me too. And I just really love the the blend that you'll hear about his passion, his faith, and just his drive to make a difference in this world and how they all kind of come together. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you listen to this conversation that I had with Frank Beeler. Every one of us are already made brilliant. You don't have to create that brilliance and you don't have to wish you had it. It's already in you. But you're going to have to fight to find that brilliance and you're going to have to fight even harder to live out your brilliance. Now let's get ready to have a conversation that will challenge you to rebel against complacency and conformity and fight for brilliance in every area of your life. For those that are listening that don't know what Phase Learning Center is, talk to us a little bit about the vision behind Phase and kind of what you're doing there because it's it's pretty remarkable. Sure. So a few years ago, a great leader by the name of Reggie Joyner had an idea where he drew three boxes on a piece of paper and he said, hey, there's a better way to engage families in the community. Uh, literally three boxes. It was very simple, <laughs> three squares. And he, he was looking at it through the lens of how do we engage families in a community, serve families of all different walks of life, all different um, beliefs, upbringings, you name it. Let's just serve families in a community. And oh, by the way, is there a way to get more efficient with the way we build church buildings? So the idea was we build these church buildings that sit empty most of the week. 
Um, they're very expensive, especially now in growing areas like Houston and here in Alpharetta. Just the land alone is just so cost prohibitive. So I was sitting there going, how do we solve those two problems together? That was the initial idea. Then uh, through a cool series of circumstances, I had already connected with Reggie at that point and was being like a speaker dude. So I'd travel around and, and, and speak at some uh, conferences or events, maybe things he couldn't make it to. Sometimes we did stuff together. Um, but I was uh, in a season where I was sharing some of the same heartbeat of engaging millennial families, supporting their parenting style that was different than what we'd seen in previous generations. And so uh, we started to share this idea, fine tune this idea. And then a uh, two and a half years ago or so, I came on as the CEO of Phase Family Centers, and it was to take this piece of paper with these three squares and a few ideas and turn it into something. And so now fast forward, uh, we now have a beautiful 62,500 square foot facility, all funded through investment capital, uh, venture capital. And uh, basically, we built a large preschool and after-school center targeting millennial families. It's got a kid's culinary kitchen. It's got a STEM room and an art room and art studio, uh, two massive playgrounds. I mean, all the things that just a young family is like, oh, gosh, my kid's got to go there. And it's built around a curriculum style that really resonates with parents these days, sets them up for success as they go off down elementary school. So we got this massive preschool and after school, gym, indoor playground, you name it, the whole deal. Then the middle section is a co-working operation. But what makes our co-working unique, because lots of people are doing co-working and trying to figure it out. And many big businesses are doing co-working unprofitably up to this point, right? I mean, the WeWorks of the world still haven't made a dollar yet. So there's so much to figure out in this model. But what we've chosen to do is build the largest co-working in America with on-site childcare. We think there's a value proposition there that's unparalleled and makes us really unique. And then, oh, by the way, we have a 600-seat auditorium that we do events and we're hosting. Literally right now, we've already got booked three bar mitzvahs. Uh, we've got a wedding. Uh, we've got some church services going on on Sundays. We got a Tuesday night album recording coming up for an artist. We got a comedy show, three gala, four galas now scheduled uh, for fundraising and things like that. So beautiful event center. And once again, that's needed in our area. There's not enough event space. Uh, so we're meeting and needing the community. And then, oh, by the way, a church meets here on the weekend and they get access to that awesome kids and student space, get access to that auditorium and all that. So Phase Family Center is basically three business units that subsidize the cost of a facility that ministers and cares for families in the community, non-faith-based, and then there's a church that meets here on the weekend. What a lot of people might not realize if they don't come from you, you and I have this background inside of the church space and, and working with large churches too. So we understand like that real estate, the 62,000 square foot space is a space that would normally maybe occupy a really large church. And most of the, the classrooms, those things that you're talking about, maybe they'll have a preschool during the day or some kind of day program, but they're really not utilizing that building. So what started as this idea of, let's just be more efficient first with a church kind of concept, just totally blossomed in and evolved into this massive thing that you guys are doing there. The question that I would have for you was, did you guys ever <laughs> along the way look and say, oh, wait, maybe we should just start with this part, you know, instead of tackling all of these things inside of one, should we start with just getting down the system of a, of a preschool? Should we start with just an auditorium and see if someone uses that? Did you guys ever think, are we taking on too much at once? 
Uh, I sure feel like that a lot. That's definitely, uh, but when it came to building this model, um, the idea was to do two things at once, build an incredible church facility that doesn't feel portable at all. Doesn't have a church sign on the outside. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they, they put up banners. That's the portable part. They put up banners by the road and whatnot. But when you come in, everything's, you know, beautiful kid space and student space, things like that. You can't do that and dabble in this model. So, I mean, the very part of me that's like, oh, so I start by raising just over $17 million in project cost and investment. Okay, that seems like a big leap from I've never ran a childcare center before. Like that's, that seems like a pretty big leap. But, but to achieve the model and what we're trying to help with is where is their land that's cost prohibitive? Where does a church need to be? And where does a community need to be served in a unique way where we can really connect with families and do it in a big way? And so it was kind of one of these things where uh, in order for the model to be tested, we couldn't just test it by going, hey, can we figure out how to do co-working? We knew we could hire people that know co-working. We knew we could hire people that are great at preschool. We knew that we could hire people that would do events well. The unique thing about the model is combining all of it together. So it really was one of these scenarios where, you know, chips all in on the table and looking at investors and going, yeah, there's no micro model to test this. There's no portable version of this. We've got to jump in with two feet. So first, I think it's awesome to see when an industry or any sector takes a look at an opportunity and looks at through a different lens and says, what can we do to be more effective, which is what you did in the case of a first a church looking at how to do church more effective. Question for you would be, it, the reason why you had to go all in would really be like, if we're going to do this right, was that kind of what was driving the heart of that was like, look, to really serve these families, right? To really accomplish this vision in full effect, like we've got to just go all in. All in. Is that kind of where the, the head was at? Definitely. I mean, the reality is we've built a beautiful staff of, of preschool teachers and a director, and we could, have, we could have gone out and started a preschool. And that, that would have been a thing that would have been necessarily unique. We would have tried to do that with excellence, but it is that synergy between all of them that really puts the value proposition there. So for us, it really was, if we don't learn how all these pieces to fit together, I think all we've done is just started business units of things that already exist. So the radicalness of the model was that synergy. How do you get all these? parties to play together really well, squeeze the efficiency. So for example, I discovered that my budget for the co-working internet, okay, I was going to do internet for the facility, but the budget specifically for the co-working internet cost, I needed high bandwidth, blah, 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 all these people, all these tech people that needed to be able to upload files and all this stuff that were renting space. I needed to have a whole lot of internet. Well, I also had an internet cost in the preschool after school minimal. And then the church needed some on the weekend for their streaming. Well, what I realized was, once again, squeezing all those synergies, trying to figure this out. What I quickly realized is that the internet that I had budgeted for the co-working covered the whole building. So I didn't have to allocate those costs to the preschool and after school or to the church. I didn't have to share the expenses. The business unit that was the co-working afforded the whole thing. So it's those efficiencies that would have never been learned if we would have done just co-working or just preschool. So what was more scary for you 
going and chasing after 17 million in investments or starting something that you've never done before? Uh, great question. I, it, so here, here's what I thought. I thought that the hard part of doing this model was going to be getting the money and getting buy-in from churches that wanted to partner with us. I thought that was going to be the hard part. That has not been the case. I've been shocked that we are now lined up with capital for five locations and we just now opened this one. Like I haven't even finalized proving the model yet. I mean, we're enrollments off to a good start, but we're not quite there yet. But it's one of these things that when you look at the pro forma, when you look at the business plan for a second, it's interesting. So many people, when they try to fight for excellence, they really try to go to that next level. Everything in their model implies that once we get to 85% occupancy, then we start paying our bills. Or if we could just be above all the standards out there, everything that's reasonable, we can raise the bar, we can charge more, we can do this, you know, we just got to get really high enrollment. And so when we built this business model, we built it at 52% occupancy, everything breaks even. And so when you go to investors and you go, hey, we've got a conservative model here. Yes, big business, but 52% occupancy of the co-working, 52% occupancy of the preschool, a minimal number of events. Oh, and by the way, a church, because you're sharing bathrooms and just different expenses, suddenly just on paper, the business makes sense. And oh, by the way, it has a mission attached to it, made it even easier for the conversation. We realized when I went out with one of my lead investors to go meet some people that weren't original investors in the plan, they didn't know us, we had no relationship. I had to stop halfway through the presentation multiple times because they were already done. They had already bought in. They were ready. They, they already were ready to ask questions because from a business standpoint, all the numbers just made sense. This wasn't some audacious, I want to reinvent the way this is done and none of the numbers work, but I believe that one day it might. And so that was very attractive for those investors. So let me ask you this then. What do you think, like you're casting, thinking about people trying to get buy-in, you know, behind big ideas and, and which man, it can feel like you're just fighting, you know, opposition when you're, when you take big ideas to people. Do you feel like the success for you, and it could be both, but do you think the success for you was that really smart business model or really great vision mission that people attach to? Like, do you think one can work without the other? You know, what's your experience with that? So I think great business models can certainly work all by themselves. There are people that will invest in that all day. If just the money makes sense, they'll gladly invest in it. It's kind of a no brainer. So yes, that works. I think the challenge is a lot of people, in fact, I'm working with a guy right now, very missional minded guy. I love his mission, vision, strategy to a certain degree. And what I struggle with is sustainability his, his model breaks down really quickly, but the heartbeat behind it, the overall strategy and plan to do something's really good. But then when you get in the ops, it just unravels. And I don't know how to get behind it when it's missing a couple steps. It's like on Shark Tank when somebody presents a new plan, right? And they do their pitch and immediately they're like, okay, but what about? And it's, if you can stump someone that has high mission and vision and and they're really excited about something, with your first or second question, as an investor or leader, we're going to be in trouble because you've lived with this. And if the first question, you're like, well, I don't, I don't know exactly how we're going to fund that or I don't know exactly how that's going to come together, but I'm believing, 
that that's it breaks down. What should be is that third or fourth layer question. And that's when you test the brilliance is you got an answer. You got an answer. Bam, bam. You're, you're giving your vision. And then you answer those first few things. And then that great leader takes it another level down. It's like, well, have you thought about? And so for us, somebody asked me the other day, how do you protect the IP of the strategy of phase? And I was like, ah, I just didn't even know if anybody was going to like us. I haven't really worried about that one. But I answered the first nine questions really well. And so great leaders will help you steward an idea better. But if they stump you from the beginning, that becomes a problem. And so I think you can have a, a brilliant business model that just is what it is and it can stand alone. It's just an investment. I don't think you can have mission and vision without a brilliant operations plan for very long. I think that's good because, I mean, I do believe that there's a, there's a time where curiosity is more important than clarity there's a point in the ideation or dream, you know, phase where that has to be strong and prevalent, but you're right. Like great ideas do die without having a strong strategy. And, um, it's just interesting to me that you're, what you guys are doing there on, cause the preschool side of it, it my eyes have been opened as a dad who has a almost five year old. Now preschool to me used to look like this thing where, you either have to put your kids there because you are both working or maybe you're a single parent and, you know, working. So you need daycare. Um, and that's what I would call, that's like how I viewed preschool was daycare, right? Or somebody wants a break from their kids. So they're going to throw them in to some kind of system for a little bit. And, and so putting our son into things when, um, early on, like by the age of two, even we had him into stuff, maybe even before that, I started to shift my perspective and started to realize this is actually really helpful for him to be part of something outside of our own influence from just the house. Like that was very eye opening for me. What drives that for you guys as far as realizing the importance of the kids, importance of families, and like what's driving that heartbeat for you guys to really do this well for them? So the idea of phase was created by Kristen Ivey, um, who years ago started a research project called It's Just a Phase. And it's just a phase, a common statement we've said like, oh gosh, the terrible twos, we need to get over this, get on to the next thing. And her idea was, it's just a phase, don't miss it. It's just a phase, don't miss it, because there's going to be things that you hate about this phase, but things that will never come back again. You know, so it's just, I mean, my 17-year-old young man, uh, my oldest son, who's got a beard now, you know, he's a giant football player. There's no, like, cuddling before bedtime. Yeah. That's gone. And yet, that would be a little uh, awkward, by the way. That would be super awkward, right? <laughs> uh, but the flip side of that is, when I did have those cuddle moments, he was also incapable of finding his other sock or his other shoe or anything <laughs> totally. else. So it was like, oh, I just can't wait till he can find both his shoes, but there's a trade-off. So it's just a phase, don't miss it, was this thing to say, developmentally, what's happening in a kid's life? What do we understand scientifically with their brain? What do we understand about who they are? Uh, what in this season do they need to understand about money, about love, about God, you know, about all these different elements? And what we found is that it normalizes so much of what a parent goes through to go, oh, your kid does that? I thought that was only my kid. I thought I was a, a bad parent or, you know, whatever it is. But along the way, what we discovered is that 
what happens at two and three and four truly is foundational for what will help kids when they go into school, when they go into interactions and relationships. And so we wanted to build a curriculum, which we did called Phase Foundations, that powers our learning center to really come through and follow through on some of these ideas. And I'll, I'll say this, it's just interesting. In the preschool industry or daycare industry, the turnover rate of staff is 30% per year. It's one of the highest in our nation because it's a hard job, it's super low pay, and um, it's underappreciated. And oftentimes it's thought of as babysitting, right? Totally, yeah. So we're trying to, to raise the respect, right? Trying to improve things overall in the industry. And one of the ways we're doing that is that we found that the director of the center maintained all the relationships with the parents because the teacher's going to leave and they don't want to lose that parent. So they maintain all the relationships. And what we're finding is that if we will be confident enough in our relationships and care of staff to where staff have the relationship with the parents who are with them all day, every day, the parents and the staff, they're with that child every day. We found that that is actually kind of industry breaking kind of revolutionary idea to really resonate with millennial parents that go, I want to know what you did with my kid at 11 and at one and at three, not some yep. generic recap. So it's interesting you say that because they, at my, my son is in a school for um, speech delays, language differences, learning differences, and so on. So they do approach education differently than a, a standard. What you were describing would be the industry standard, right? We interact daily with their teacher directly. We get this on an app that even shows like, here's what they did today, the stories they read, things like that, which for me as a parent, it's so much fun to get in the car with my son instead of like having to pull, you know, teeth to get like, what did you do today? I can jumpstart that by, did you read a story about, you know, something goat or whatever? And, and he's like, kind of shocked, like, daddy, yeah, I did. And then we start talking about that. So it, I love that in, you guys have some values that you have on your website that you talked about. One of them for sure stood out to me. And I want to talk about two of them because I don't have time to get into all four. But the first two, the first one, every child is a natural artist and scientist. I'm guessing like your curriculum is shaped in a way to fuel that, right? That mentality or that approach. Or can you talk into that a little bit? Yeah, that, that's a really important one for us because at two, three, four years old, parents naturally are like, oh gosh, my kid's going to be a football star or my kid is really good at math. You know, those things start to just naturally, people are asking, what makes your kid special? And we would just say at that age, we still don't know. They're good at both. And so let's turn both dials. And so we'll have, and you've driven by these before, uh, like a Montessori approach to school uh, for our enrichment. So that's where they can get in a room and they kind of govern the experience of the day. But then we also offer that structure through our STEM curriculum that happens in the classroom. So science, technology, engineering, math. So we're saying there's a time for structure and a time for learn through play. And they both need to be there together. And yet in, in the childcare industry, like any other industry, let's think fitness industry for a second. People aren't currently signing up for come to the gym and do anything you want, right? We've got everything. It's super extreme. It's like, boxing or, you know, rowing or cycling. And so everything's gone to extreme. The childcare industry did this as well. They took a, an education model and swung the pendulum and you're either this or you're this. And we're sitting there going, uh, most kids are probably both. 
And so it's interesting from, uh, from a marketing standpoint for the longest time, that would be a nightmare to try to say, we want to be a little bit of everything to everybody. So we had to find a framework or language that was familiar enough to parents. And this, was go- this goes back to that brilliance of going, how do you drill down to where you communicate a value in such a way that doesn't leave it ambiguous when you're trying to appeal to a couple different things, but actually brings clarity. And so by saying we believe every kid is an artist and a scientist, when I say that on a tour of the school, every parent nods their head. They fully agree with that. If I were to say, we believe in a couple different methodologies in our educational model, and we think that they should be doing this and this, they're kind of like, okay, if yeah. that's what you believe, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't resonate the same way. Well, because every single person that has that kid at home knows when you just said that they've seen the kid grab, you know, something and make a cape out of, out of a towel. They've seen that kid also try to like figure out like what this bug is. So they've seen both sides of this kid. They've seen the kid kick the ball at the same, in the same day. So any parent knows you're right. He is not, or she is not one thing, at least not yet. Maybe never will be. The other thing you say that I love is every parent is a child's first and best teacher. Yeah, here, here's the challenge with that. Um, it's, it's a good statement, right? I mean, it sounds, sounds really good. Um, the best part is a challenge for us because sometimes, I mean, we all can think of parenting scenarios where it's like, oh gosh, are they really best? I mean, uh, they got stuff going on in their life or, you know, we adopted a young man out of the state system who's now 17. He's been through quite the journey. And part of me would be like, I don't know. But here's what I know. No matter your upbringing, from the time you're super little, for whatever reason, God entrusted you to those parents, those caregivers, and they are influencing your life greater than anything that can happen in just a few hours elsewhere. And so by taking that posture, what we eliminate from our school, and this, we're just really passionate about this, is a teacher deciding whether that parent is worth being a parent or is doing a good job of being a parent or present enough and to go, no, 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 wherever they're at, that kid sees that human being different than everybody else on the planet. So let's resource them. Let's support them. Let's come alongside of them and let's not ignore their influence. And so instead of trying to counteract it, how do we support it? How do we support that parent and navigate things? So it's just a, a lens, probably more, it's good for parents to hear, but it's probably more for our staff and leaders to operate with that posture because I think it changes the dynamic uh, during drop-off and pick-up and those interactions if we really want to serve the community. Changes the way you see someone, right? So it puts an instant value and worth on somebody who you might have discounted before, right? That's exactly right. And I love that. I mean, there are, the t- there are two sides to that coin for sure. There's the side as a parent that you also accept that responsibility saying, I'm not just dropping them off to you know be developed like this is also my role too and and so there's that but i when you expanded that man that is powerful because no matter what that parent's doing at home no matter how good or bad it is influencing them one way or the other so i just love that you are going to look at them and say let's champion the parents no matter who they are what they're doing where they're at it's it gets messy when you choose to go that way though for sure i would imagine you know so. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it would be easier for us to go, this is how we do it, fall in line. You know, we, we have a certain standard. This is how we operate. And so that's why even we communicate all those things, you know, after school, 
every day. We have an app. We communicate three times per day to every parent, something about their kid, a picture of their kid. Here's what they're doing. Here's activity on social media. We post questions for parents to interact with their kid. We, we explored leaves today on your way home. Look for different colored leaves as it becomes fall, you know, just kind of poking and prodding our way. And much to our dismay, we still print stuff out and hand it to parents. We're like, they don't need another piece of paper, but some people aren't engaging on their phone. And we're like, well, that's another way to influence that parent, support that parent, is just to give them a handout of what we discussed this week. The whole concept is amazing. I mean, the idea of the co-working space right there, being able to, you know, hope maybe your kid's in the preschool. And then even when they're done, they can be part of the after school programs. A parent could keep working. I think that part of it's brilliant. Um, And they can, you know, everyone, I'm going to put a link to website. Everyone can keep up with what's going on there because it's going to be, I think, a phenomenal story that's just starting to be told about what you guys, the impact that you're going to have. But my question beyond the building, beyond, you know, everything that's phenomenal that you're doing, my question for you would be, how is this directly connected to your unique purpose and your unique calling that you feel like you're stepping into with this? (laughs) Wow. Um, I, so I came out of college and got into insurance and sold a bunch of insurance, became the president of a pretty large retail agency operating in 47 states and was loving it and was serving in my local church on the weekend and trying to be generous and raise a family and all the things. And then, you know, a decade ago or so, I ended up moving to Charlotte because we acquired a couple of companies and I find myself at a church called Elevation Church where I go on a staff on the executive team eventually there and helping lead the, the mission and strategy of the church. And now I find myself, and it's interesting to look back and go, I have this disproportionate value for family that I've had since I was really young. Uh, part of that's just because of the brokenness of my own family and recognizing the brokenness in other people's families. Uh, but then this business gear that I lived in for a little while, a good decade or so, and then a decade in ministry, smashing those two worlds together in a unique way to serve a community. This is, in my mind, I now get to be the CEO of something that I didn't think existed. And there wasn't a way to safely blur the lines between the two and really serve effectively and feel like every day I get to help the the capital C church move forward in, in our nation and really have an impact. I truly believe that I'll build a hundred of these before we retire and really have an impact on the local church and impact communities. In fact, recently, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Houston, uh, Justin meeting with the church and dreaming about some land and uh, what could be and should be uh, to build one of these there, like within the next two years and love to invest in families there. And so we're just trying to find that strategy, but it's, oh gosh, God has uniquely gifted me for this business gear and a heart for the church. And now he's put me in a position where I get to live every day where those two lines are, are blurred together. You said something and, and look, it's not fair for me to just throw it on you since, you know, this is our first real conversation together, but Man, I like getting to the to the core of people, and that's what makes you who you are. I'm just curious when you talk about coming out of a broken home yeah, as a as a kid. Is that what you were referencing, or what were you referencing there? Sure. So my biological father left when I was one. I watched my mom struggle as a single mom for a good long time. Uh, when she found someone and got married, uh, just candidly, that relationship was always my stepdad and her, and then 
her and I, and it never synced back up. And then I watched my grandfather passed away about the time I was one. And I watched my grandmother try to navigate her three children, one being my mother and the brokenness there and just the tensions and dynamics of every family and arguing at Thanksgiving and just all the mess. And I, I thought that had to be the reality. And then I started to see bright spots in other families that weren't perfect, but I started to see bright spots and go, wow, I don't, I don't know how we would have, as, as, the, as our family, learned those, those tools or gained that insight or changed the way we argued or whatever it was. There, was. there was nothing there to help us win in that regard. And so I'm sitting there going, if every family is having to navigate or feels like they have to navigate their struggles alone, I don't know that they'll come to an effective or good conclusion on how to solve their problems because they feel like they're unique. And yet, what I keep finding over and over again is that most families' problems are very similar to the family right next door and right next door. And so, there are some best practices. There's some things that you don't have to struggle through and figure this out on your own. There's other people who have gone through it, but in an attempt not to air our dirty laundry, we will stumble along and struggle in our family dynamics and lack of health. And honestly, my grandmother passed away and she was the glue. And now I don't know that the siblings or our family has gotten together since she passed away. And I'm like, what? Just the family gets kind of dissolved in that regard. And so it's going, okay, we've got to do better. And someone else has already navigated this. So how do we help um, people not have to figure it out on their own? Well, what's, I appreciate you sharing all that because I mean, all these things, it, well, one, it's easy to be more vulnerable like this when you realize like there's other people who've probably gone through what you've gone through. But to each of us, it just feels so unique and so heavy to ourselves. So one, that you've turned that past, that brokenness into something that probably fuels a little bit of a, almost a righteous anger of like, let's do better. Like I hear we can do better. And just that drive that you have to build community, it sounds like, right, would be part of what the passion is behind phase is like, these families can see like, we can be equipped to get through this stuff together, but probably not alone, as well as it would be together. I totally agree. One of the things I realized I skipped over when we were talking about phase family center, there's another space in phase family center called the living room. And I didn't talk about it because we were talking business earlier. And the business side is the business units, right? So the living room is non-revenue generating, beautiful space as a small children's bookstore that will lose money, I'm sure. Um, but the idea was it's a space for parents to meet other parents of the kids that they go to school with. You know, the kids go to school together. Where's that safe space for them to have donuts or coffee or have those chance and sometimes not so chance collisions, right? So let's orchestrate that opportunity. Hey, at drop off this morning, we're having all the parents of the threes and fours uh, swing over for coffee and a donut. It's on us. We just want you to meet. No, no other agenda that you need to realize that some other family is going through the exact same thing as you, and we're here to help. I love that. That's, that's phenomenal. I'm glad we touched on that because I know we ended up on the business side, but the, the heart behind what you guys are doing there is rooted in taking care of families and building community together, right? I mean, that's put aside business numbers that make sense, by the way. They're really, they sound phenomenal, the business numbers, but 
probably more brilliant is what you guys are doing to hopefully facilitate community and really foster healthy development in the families that are in that area. Yeah, we're excited about it. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Frank and we're going to get right back into it. But before we do, I just want to take a second and invite you to sign up for the Fight for Brilliance newsletter. This isn't meant to be junk mail. This is hopefully something that adds value to your life every single week by giving you a quick thought to challenge you and also sharing with you the resources that are challenging me to rebel against complacency and conformity in my life and helping me personally fight for brilliance. And so all you have to do is text the word brilliant to the number 33777. Everybody who signs up every single month goes into a drawing and I give away a book every single month. And so follow me on Instagram at Keller Thinks to find out what book I'm giving away currently. Again, all you have to do to sign up for this newsletter is text the word brilliant to the number 33777. Now let's get back to this conversation with Frank. So I thought we'd have time to talk about your book, uh, but we're not going to probably get into that. I want to just touch on a couple last things to respect your time, but um, we will, I'll have you back on because you're, the things inside of your book too, I actually read through your book with, I mean, it's, an, it's, a, it's what I appreciate about your book. When someone says it's an easy read, people say that about one of my other books that I've written. And I was like, did that mean it's a bad book? So I'm always hesitant to say it, but I actually appreciate an easy read because that means you just get to the point. There's not a lot of fluff. And I would say that your book is like that. But the, the thing that I wanted to ask you, I guess, is you've, you've realized the importance of family and people, his book is the, called The Myth of Balance and I can't recommend it enough, but it seems like you've lived through, you've got a, what is it, sixth, eighth grade, sixth grader, eighth grader, senior or what are the ages? Yep. So senior, sixth grader, eighth grader, and then our adopted son who's in a GED program is 17 as well. Okay. So you've, you've been through the busyness of life. And I think we all realize like, no matter who you are, life is busy. Some (laughs) self-induced and then some of it you just can't avoid from life's demands. What do you think people could do or have you practiced you and your wife and your family to not just be connected to each other as a family, because that's important, but what have you guys done for intentionality to be connected to others that you think other people could, could do? Wow. Uh, here's what I would say. I mentioned this briefly in the book, and the book is intentionally short. Um, it was written twice as long, and the editor didn't cut it down in half. I cut it when we got to the point and we were talking about the book and decided we wanted people to actually read it and finish it and apply it. And so we literally in a marketing meeting, cut the book down to about half and turned it a little bit more into a workbook style of places for, you know, people to kind of in the margins, make some notes that was intentional to really make it helpful. Even though there was some stories that I thought were cool, uh, we cut them out and left them on the, you know, cutting room floor. But here's the thing. If you start with a practice of stop being surprised It's a big value uh, that I'm learning from the myth of balance. It's this idea of going, you know, things are going to happen. You don't know when they're going to happen next, but we've got to adjust our rhythm and our schedule to to look ahead, to know that stuff is going to come up, whether it be uh, the last minute photo shoot for my son for football at the exact same time, I've got to pick up my daughter from her first camp ever away camp you know, big day, got to be there to get her off the bus. But Isaac's supposed to be somewhere else at the same time. When you start to plan and look ahead at those collisions that are going to happen and how you manage those, what it forces you to do is build relationships with other parents, 
whether that be through carpooling and shuffles and just things like that. But then also it puts you in a circumstance to go, okay, it's going to be a frantic evening between here and here. There's no real time to go home. I can either sit in my car and play on my phone or go to Starbucks or whatever, or I can go, okay, wait a second. I'm going to the football thing to drop him off. Then I'm going to my daughter. This happened on Sunday, by the way. So my wife's out of town. I'm doing the shuffle. And then Sunday, I'm going to pick her up. Inevitably, the bus is going to be late from youth group camp, right? So I know I'm going to be standing around. So I texted a couple parents and said, hey, are you coming to pick up your kiddo? And they're like, yeah. I was like, we should hang out. And so we literally ended up sitting there in the parking lot together, had a ball together. One of the people I was really close with, one of the people, not so much. I don't know them very well at all. But it was an opportunity to build a relationship with another parent because I knew I was going to be sitting around, like nothing was going to happen. And so I think that part of productivity and fighting for those relational moments, both in our family and with other families, is to make that room, make that room to go, I see this train coming. How can I make the most out of this through one extra text? How can I, how can I make sure that I get to know another parent or... Uh, at, Layla told me on the way home that there's a girl that I've heard her mention before, but they really connected on this trip. So if my wife and I aren't intentional, my daughter's going to be hanging out with somebody that we've never met their parents before. Because who has time for another parent meeting, you know, just to hang out? You know, we're beyond play dates, so that's not going to happen. And so it's like, where does that happen? Well, that happens because we choose to look ahead and go, oh, there's in two weeks, there's a thing after church where they're asking everybody to jump on bounce houses. I don't know. Uh, and so we're going to be around. Let's text those parents, get their number and let's stand there together while our kids do this activity. So it starts to create those opportunities for relationships and it doesn't feel forced or it doesn't take another night of the week. Well, I think that's brilliant because you're not necessarily making more time. You're actually taking the time that you would have just spent by yourself maybe. And yeah, right now I'm, I'm playing an app on my phone, a game. Um, it's the, uh, let's see, Dr. Mario world, you know, the little puzzles and stuff like that. So that's like my brain, you know, if I, I need nothing else to do, I'm going to solve these puzzles. And so, yes, I could have sat in the car in the parking lot waiting on my daughter and played some more Dr. Mario world, or I could have met one of her new friend's parents, right? So it takes one extra text to be able to make that happen. What's um, one thing that you've learned from your journey or from others could be from other influences. You've had some great leaders in your life. So I would expect that's part of it, but what would be one thing that you've learned about understanding your purpose or how to dial in on really that true calling? I, I think this statement actually, uh, I've been wrestling with this a lot. I don't think it makes sense, but I think it makes sense if you know what I mean. And it's this, it's hard to be a great self-aware leader alone. Like you can, you can try to be as self-aware as you want, but what I believe happens is when mentors and leaders in your life point out things, it's then you choosing to be self-aware about those things and those values or what you're missing in your life or whatever it may be. So, so my mentor and best friend is a guy named Kerry Newhoff and Kerry's a great leader in the church world and just brilliant mind. Um, I really admire him. He's become a dear friend and along the way, He's kind of challenged me as I've gotten into this phase model to say, hey, you're really going to miss serving in the local church. You love it too much. And I don't know what that looks like. It's not like I'm not really, really busy. He's like, I see you traveling all the time and all this stuff, but you're going to miss it. Like you, 
you need to be aware of like, how can you, how can you still serve in the local church in a way that feels life-giving to you? And it's not just, you know, a greeter at the front door, you know, checking off my box. Like you said, you're going to have to be engaged with some volunteers. You're going to have to pour into some people. So it's my job to then steward that principle and idea and go, am I feeling it? Am I feeling the pain of that? Am I missing that right now? And it took a little while for me to find a new rhythm to find how can I serve in that way? Because he knew that's how I was wired and I appreciated that. So I need other people to reveal flaws, reveal potential issues that could come up in the future or challenge me in areas. Then it's my job to be self-aware enough to know, am I really doing something about that? Have I made the proper adjustments? And so I think that principle of, um, yes, I want to be self-aware. Yes, I want to walk into a room and know kind of the climate that happens when I walk in a room, all those things. But there are things that just no one's told me yet. So where are you raising your hand as a leader? If you want to be brilliant, if you really want to step up, where you're raising your hand as a leader, say, where are my blind spots? And then adding that to whatever kind of self-aware routine you have to then say, they've said this, I can either push back or ignore it. Or say, how do I apply that? How do I make sure that's happening this week on my calendar? What does that look like? Reinforce the statement that you said doesn't make sense, might make sense. Reinforce that one line about self-awareness. Yeah, so I just uh, made it up. So let's see if I could tweak it again. Um, it's hard to be self-aware leader alone. Yeah, uh, it, it, and I, it sparked the idea for me of that. And I think that's spot on, which is your self-awareness is going to be limited to the amount of influence that you allow to expose yourself. So, you know, if that's you, it, just, that's a, that's, that's it. That's all you, you take three more minutes and that's going to be an amazing tweet by Justin Keller right there. Like you just <laughs> like tweet, well, don't, don't say anything about what I said. That was it right there. That limited exposure, you know, if you, if you don't get that figured out, so that's it. Um, that's, that's a much better way to say it. Well, you said I really it, want to grow as a self-aware leader. You I like said it. it, Frank. So you'll get the you'll get the shout out for that. No, play. no, no credit. You just greatly you modified it and approved it enough where it's totally yours. <laughs> well, I think it's what I liked about that though is it's easy to either like devalue yourself or your ideas or your purpose when you're on your own, or it's easy to elevate it, you know, and magnify it more than it deserves to be if you don't have someone speaking into you. So I think what you just said is is phenomenal. Um, last question that I think I, I would love to ask you. There's so many things we could talk about with fatherhood or like your book and all these other things, but we focused on phase, um, which is a big part of your life right now. Um, it's not your life, but it's a big part of what you're doing. And so I just, you know, instead of just pouring into a great business model and finding something that generates a lot of revenue and making investors happy, my question for you would be, what do you hope the legacy and the story of phase is that your children's children hear about or tell of phase no one's ever asked me that question before um uh, let me i want i want to yeah let me think through that one uh, for for my kids it's i want them to see that there's a way to really meld your purpose and passions um in a way that has great impact. And I want them to see that. And great impact can be, doesn't necessarily mean numbers of people or number of, of facilities, but I want them to see that. I want them to, to see that um, when I was working those long nights, I still was loving it, still super happy, still, I mean, not that it's not hard, but it's worth it. And 
So I want them to see that. But my, my kids' kids who, who may not get to interact in the same way, or maybe I'm retired before they have kids. So they just see me through a different lens, you know, kind grandpa that's always giving them, you know, candy and sugar and then sending them home to be with their parents. Like that's, or just giving them money. Like I just want to be that grandpa. Right. <laughs> and just be like, yeah, yeah. You can have any want. Like I, it's the parents' problems. Um, but as far as the, the legacy or what they, they remember or have heard, um, my mind goes to, he built something really significant. I was a part of building something really significant, but always remained very kind. Like I, I really, I really want to find a way. I, I want to be able to teach it and I don't know how to teach it. Cause I think I'm still trying to learn it for myself. I think that for a great group of leaders to come up in this next generation, they've got to find a healthy mix of confidence and humility. And what I'm finding is that they swing one way or the other. They're either so humble that they can't function. You know, they're so play everything down and, and so gracious that they, they can't achieve anything or they're so confident <laughs> that they just run people over or so unaware of their fallout. And yet I think there's, there's room for a generation to, to have modeled for them and to learn a way to go, no, I'm confident in the calling that God's given me, how I'm wired. I'm, no, I'm made for this, but to do it in an open-handed way where you don't have to step on anybody or hurt anybody along the way. So it's that mix of servant leadership uh, to where you can really drive something great forward that's significant, but do it in a healthy way that serves others. I love that. So thank you for taking the time man today to have this chat and invest you know in the people that will listen to this with your wisdom and insight i love just seeing what's going on there i want to stay connected and keep you know figuring out how people can pour into it how i can pour into it because it's phenomenal um but i just want to you know personally just end it by just commending you because what's fun for me is when i can observe through a digital lens through social media uh, somebody's life interact with them face to face and see no separation and no difference. And the passion I hear from you is the fight that you have in you to pursue what matters to you, but ultimately what matters to more people and can make the biggest impact is something that I really admire and just want to commend you for that. It's something that's obvious and it's something that is just really admirable. So just want to commend you on that and thank you for investing in the time here today, man. Thanks, Justin. I got an idea. So we need to sometime in the near future, let's do your podcast on the road here at Phase Family Center and do like a live podcast recording somehow together. And we'll get some other friends involved in it. It could be super fun. Done. That's a done uh, deal, man. That's 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 a easy yes. Yeah, let's make it happen. That's great. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of this. I'm really grateful. A huge thank you to Frank for taking the time to have this conversation with me here today. And I know for me, the biggest takeaway was just listening to Frank talk about all the different parts of his life and the things that he's passionate about and how they all kind of come together. And he's able to invest himself into all of those things through this one venture. It just was a reminder to me of how important it is to do the work that is meaningful and how important it is to fight for that and to find that in your life. And so I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Share the show with at least two people, screenshot it, send Frank a 
thank you on social media. I'll make sure that his handle is in the show notes. All you have to do is look for that. And I'll make sure there's also a link for Faye's Family Learning Center so you can learn more about what they're doing. It's a really unique and, and cool thing that they have going on there. Again, if you haven't subscribed to the show, just click subscribe so that you can make this part of your week. I appreciate that. I know you have so many options when it comes to podcasts, but thank you to everybody who has subscribed and chosen to follow and make this a consistent part of their week and allow me to be in your corner challenging you to fight for brilliance in your life. And so thank you for doing that. And until next time, here's your weekly reminder that you, yes, you, you are brilliant.